beautiful and powerful prayer. And I pray that everything we do today leads us into a deeper appreciation and a, and a more, more vivid remembering of everything that Jesus Christ has done for us. And that's the whole purpose of today is to lead us to remember just how much Christ loved us. The application part uh, isn't going to come at the end of the service. It's actually going to come uh, through your one sheet this, this week. So I encourage you that after the service is over to open it up on your device. Um, Becky has made it easy for you. It's all there. If you get the weekly email, you get an email Sunday morning, and it has a link to this service. It has the one sheet. It has the sermon notes. Everything is right there. encourage you to use that one sheet this week to further uh, today's message. But today... Our time's going to end with just a focusing on the cross of Jesus Christ and the love that led Jesus to be able to endure punishment, to take on our sin so that we could be redeemed to our Father. Today we're going to let Scripture speak to us. We're going to read a whole bunch of Scripture. And the only thing in the sermon notes today, if you are one who follows that, are just four sermon texts. Uh, so whether you uh, uh, use the, the, the app or whether you don't, uh, I encourage you to at least jot these uh, sermon references down um, because we won't be able to read all of them together, but I want you to read all of them uh, sometime this week. The first one is Micah chapter 5, and we're just going to let God speak to us this morning on this idea of fighting like Jesus, how to fight evil. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to follow along your version. Your translation may read just a little bit differently than the Holman Christian standard that I'm reading from. Um, but let's read through this together and then go back through and revisit a few items. Uh, la last week, we wrapped verse 1 of chapter 5 into the text because there's a natural break. So we're going to start reading in chapter 5 and verse 2. Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from eternity. Therefore, he will abandon them until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers will return to the people of Israel. He will stand and shepherd them in the strength of Yahweh, in the majestic name of Yahweh, his God. They will live securely, for then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. He will be their peace. When Assyria invades our land, when it marches against our fortresses, we will raise up against it seven shepherds, even eight leaders of men. They will shepherd the land of Assyria with a sword, the land of Nimrod with a drawn blade. So he will rescue us from Assyria when it invades our land, when it marches against our territory. Then the remnant of Jacob will be among many peoples like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which do not wait for anyone or linger for mankind. Then the remnant of Jacob will be among the nations, among many peoples, like a lion among animals of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, which tramples and tears as it passes through, and there is no one to rescue them. Your hand will be lifted up against your adversaries, and all your enemies will be destroyed." In that day, this is the Lord's declaration. I will remove your horses from you and wreck your chariots. I will remove your, the cities of your land and tear down all your fortresses. 
I will remove sorceries from your, land, from your hands, and you will not have any more fortune tellers. I will remove your carved images and sacred pillars from you, so that you will not bow down again to the work of your hands. I will pull up the Asherah poles from among you and demolish your cities. I will take vengeance and anger and wrath against the nations that have not obeyed me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And God, now we ask that you would allow us to see past the lyrical and see past the prophetic, to to see what you're saying to your people, Judah, and to your people in 2022. God, just give us an understanding of what what you are saying to us in this section of Scripture. And God, allow, allow us to take comfort, allow us to gain strength from your words to your remnant today. God, be with us and give us ears to be able to hear what you are saying to encourage us today, to instruct us today. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, if you, I encourage you to keep your Bible open and uh, just to, to follow through, because I'd like to go back and just go back and highlight a few um, interesting, important facts in these few verses. And it starts in chapter 2. It says, Bethlehem Ephrath. And the reason that it adds the Ephrath on the end is because that's the region in which this city is placed. And the re- reason that he says Bethlehem and the region is because there's two Bethlehems. There's two Bethlehems in the first century world. One of them is up north, uh, sort of west of the Sea of Galilee. And it's not very well known. It's not on a lot of the maps that you see in the back of your Bible. It's not uh, in a a lot of maps that you see if you were to get a bigger, uh, more detailed, but it's there. And this one is south. It's just west of the Dead Sea, and this is the birthplace of Jesus. But notice what Micah says about it in this prophecy, which is one of the most specific prophecies about Jesus' coming. It's not just saying a Messiah is coming. It's telling us exactly where this Messiah is going to come from, where he's going to appear on earth. So he says, Bethlehem, Ephraim, you are small among the clans of Judah, and your Bible may something, say something like, or you are too small to be listed. If you go back to, to Joshua chapter 15 and you read through all the cities in, in Judah, this Bethlehem is not listed. It, the, other Judah, the other Bethlehem is, but it's talking about the northern one. It's saying you are too insignificant to even be listed among the 50-ish cities of, Bethlehem, of Judea. You're so small, but out of that, I'm going to raise up a ruler, a Messiah. And he makes it very specific here. This is my Messiah because it says, for me. This isn't just a Messiah. This is God's Messiah that he is sending from the smallest of the smallest towns. He's sending in his origin. And the way that it's shared here, makes it sound like he's sending an, how we sometimes envision Moses at the end of his life with a long white beard and a staff, that God is sending an aged Messiah because it says that he is coming from antiquity. It makes him sound old, and that's some difficulty in some translation. But what he is saying here is he is the eternal one. He is an eternal Messiah who has always been and will always be. I am sending him to you. In verse number four, I want you to pick up on something. I want you to start to notice, at least in this translation, the Holman Christian standard, this flip-flopping back and forth between he and they. The Messiah will come, and then his, God's people will be able to do something. In verse number four, it says, um, 
it says he will stand and shepherd them. This Messiah will do this for the, his people. And therefore, in verse 4 also, they will be able to live securely. In verse 5, he will be their peace when Assyria invades. And then we, the Godhead, will raise up these leaders, these seven shepherds and eight leaders. We have spent a lot of times as, as, as Christians trying to figure out exactly what he means by these seven shepherds and these eight leaders. And there's, if there's 100 people in this room, that means we would probably have about 142 different opinions on what those people, what those leaders represent. But here's the thing. The Messiah is coming, and he's going to raise up leaders. He's going to raise up and empower a remnant. He's going to raise up and, and empower a church to continue his mission. And they, they, those leaders, that church, will shepherd the land against the likes of Assyria and in this land of Nimrod that they include in here. What we need to understand here is that Assyria, yes, is this nasty country, nasty, nasty people who are invading. They've done destroyed the northern kingdom. And now they've forced everybody in the southern kingdom to flee to Samaria and hide behind the strong walls of the holy city. But Assyria now means something more. Micah is using Assyria to mean all evil. All the forces of evil. And Nimrod is just another way of saying the forces of evil. If, if Nimrod doesn't ring a bell to you, um, you have to go back to Genesis chapter 10. And Nimrod was one of the, the most powerful, one of the first, I, think, I believe it says, the first powerful man. And he's listed in those table of nations that are building the Tower of Babel. So he's using Nimrod, who, who led people away from God's desire, God said, go and fill the earth. We said, now nah, we're going to stick together and build a tower to show how smart we are, to show how powerful. So he's using this Nimrod character and Assyria to represent all evil. And then in verse number seven, it shifts back to the remnant. And because the Messiah has come and raised up leaders, this remnant, this faithful remnant that has always represented God's people, is, is now going to bless and influence many nations. Like the dew from the Lord. Like showers on the grass. That's blessing language. And that's what this remnant, empowered by the Messiah and the leaders, are going to do. They're going to bless many nations by being propagators of growth. And nothing nor no one is going to be able to hold, hold, him, hold it back. And that's what he's saying there. Like, which do not wait for anyone, which linger for, don't linger for mankind. Micah's saying there's nothing the world can do from stopping what God promised to Abram way, way back in Genesis 12 from happening. You will, all the nations of the earth will be blessed by you. And here he's continuing that promise through that faithful remnant, now led by the Messiah. In the face of evil, you're going to be, not you might be, you're going to be a blessing to many nations. And there is nothing or no one that can hold you back. Why? Because we don't get our power. We don't get our, our marching orders. We don't get our freedom from those on the outside telling us what we can do. We get our power, we get our marching orders, we get our freedom, we get our courage from our creator. 
who sent the Messiah, who was leading us out. God promised this to Abraham, and it continues through. And regardless of what the world says about the church, God has raised us to be agents of growth. In verse number 8, we start to see what's going to happen to the enemies of God. When this Messiah raises up a people, when the people of God act as a blessing, right? then that remnant will be among many nations, among many peoples, like a lion. Now, we've got to be careful to remember that this is metaphor. And you don't always take the metaphor word for word for word. Because our job as believers is not to go on this militaristic, bloodletting campaign to accomplish God's will. If you know your history a little bit, we've tried that. Didn't work. But he's telling us here that there is nothing, by the, the fierce, by the violent words he uses, he is telling us that there is nothing anybody can do to stop what God is, able, what God is going to do through his church. And there is no one to rescue them from the salvation that is coming because of God's faithful remnant. And that's what he's saying here. And he's saying, and this is, he's telling us how we conquer. We conquer like morning dew and like replenishing showers by being instruments of blessing and growth and love. Church, the most powerful weapon that we have as the church of Jesus Christ is love. God sending his Messiah happens only because of love. Jesus raising up leaders and those leaders, those Christians shepherding against evil by blessing the perpetrators of evil. That is our job, is to bless. That is how we conquer. That is how the enemy is destroyed. And actually, this is how God overcomes evil. This is how God conquers. Look at the last few verses of this chapter. Every verse, every line of this, this poetic prophecy includes the words, I will. It's not Micah saying, I will. That's God saying, I will. And notice how God systematically destroys, erases, dismantles, disarms evil. And he says, in, in, in that day, this is what I'm going to do against evil. In verse 10, I will remove your horses and wreck your chariots. What's he saying here? I am going to destroy every offensive weapon evil has against my people. They will not be able to attack. Verse 11, I will remove cities. I will tear down your fortresses. Now that you can't attack, I'm going to seek out evil where it hides, where it lurks, and I'm going to destroy that as well. There will be no place left for evil to hide. Verse 12, I will remove sorceries from your land. You want to have any more fortune tellers? God's saying, I'm going to remove the objects and the practices of false worship and of evil. In, in, in verse 13, I'll remove your carved images. In verse 14, I'll pull up your Asherah poles and your shrines. He's going to say, I'm going to eliminate any idol of evil. In verse 15, he reminds us, I will take vengeance. He's going to take away evil's ability to attack, to hide, to teach. He's going to totally eliminate evil from the planet. And he is the one doing it. How is he doing it? Through you and through me, loving ridiculously. 
God is saying through Micah that this is how I conquer evil. So let's go back. Let's just summarize all this. Without the stops and starts, let's just summarize all of this. Micah is saying that God is saying it through Micah that I am going to take insignificant, this little blip on a map of Bethlehem, and there I am going to introduce the ancient one, my Messiah. And he is going to stand for my people. He is going to shepherd my people. He is going to provide and be peace for my people. And he will raise up leaders. And this remnant will grow and they will join in the mission. And this remnant is going to bless the world by loving ridiculously in the face of evil. Like dew, like showers. Like those items bring growth, so will the church. They will overcome evil with good. They will overcome hate with love. And it's a love that's not dictated by the changing climate, by the changing culture. Because we get our power, we get our marching orders, we get our identity from God. And nothing the world can do can stop it. This is, for, this is, this is it. This is, it's love. This is 1 Corinthians 16, 14 where Paul reminds the Corinthians and, and us that our every action must be done in love. Not just on Sunday afternoon while the, the pastor's message is still running around in my head. Not just on Sunday morning when I've, when I've determined that I'm going to live uh, the way I should this week. All the time on Wednesday afternoon when you're just looking forward to Friday already. When, when, when things aren't going my way, every single one of my actions must be done in love. It's how we overcome. This is Romans 12, 13, and 14. I encourage you to, to take time this week to read uh, those, those verses because here he gives us this ethic. He gives us this, this way in which we are to interact and do battle in, in the world. In Micah 5 where he's saying love and Paul backs that up in, in Romans chapter 12 when he tells us in verse number 9, the love must be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve in the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. And you bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. And then he goes into chapter 13, and he starts talking about the government. And we're going to skip over that. But some of you guys need to read that. Because some of us think that our enemy is the guy who sits on the opposite side of the aisle from us. And we think it's our job to do battle with that person. No, that is not our enemy. We need to read First Corinthians, or Romans 13 and 1 Timothy 2 and realize how we are to approach our, uh, those who disagree with us. And then he picks up in verse number 8 of chapter 13, uh, and he says, this is, this is the command, and this is how you 
fulfill that command is by love. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet, and whatever other, whatever other command, all are summed up by this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law, and love is our most powerful weapon against Satan. If you keep reading down there, there's this interesting phrase in verse number 12 that says, armor of light. That is, we are soldiers of light. We are to arm ourselves with, uh, to, to, to clothe ourselves with armor of light and to fight with weapons of light. And that number one weapon is to love. And this is how God will dismantle evil. The power of evil, the hiding places of evil, the objects of evil, the prophets and idols of evil. And this is how the church is to overcome evil. Love rather than hate. Focus and forgiveness. Passion over apathy. And the secret to this for us, the part that Israel forgot, the part that Judah is dangerously close to forgetting, the thing that we often overlook and ignore, the way that we stay tapped into this power is found over in Micah chapter 5 at the end of verse number 4. And he says, where they will live securely. And that sounds pretty good, but this translation, and any English translation, really doesn't get to the point of what Micah is trying to make here. Because this, the, the phrase, they will live securely, uh, in the original Hebrew, is this idea of sitting. They will sit securely in a place of peace and rest and power. And they don't have to fear anything. It's, it's the, the New Testament idea of abiding. If you go over to John 14 and 15, we, we see repetitively that, that this is important to us. It says, live securely in the home and Christian standard. The ESV says they dwell secure. New King James, they come close to getting it as, as close as you, they, they, they're the closest of getting it right, exactly right as far as the Hebrew goes. They shall abide. They shall remain in Christ. The ability for us to fight evil with love hinges on our ability to abide in Jesus Christ. We must stay tapped in to our power source. I encourage you this week to go over and to read John chapter 14 and 15. That is what that is all about. It's, it's pretty graphic imagery. Like if, you, if you don't abide in me, you're going to find yourself being destroyed in fire. If you're not in me, you're not going to be able to provide any fruit because you can't do anything if you don't abide in me. We must stay attached to our power source. Love is our most powerful weapon against evil. And the gospel is, our, is what we lead with. And we must make love our primary effort. And it's tough. I understand. It's tough. I mean, you think of just your family, your extended family, how tough it is sometimes to love those closest to you on this planet. But the good news is, is that Jesus doesn't ask us to do something that he's not willing to do for us or hasn't already done. He calls us to forgive, and we say, you want me to forgive him? Do you realize what she did to me? Do you remember the, did you not remember the hell that they drug us through? 
God comes back and says, yeah, but I understand, but I forgave you for killing my son. Our sins killed Jesus Christ. He calls us to sacrifice. And we say, you want me to serve more, give more, do more, sacrifice more? And Jesus says, my sacrifice cost me my life because I knew that was the only way to redeem you to your father. He, he, he calls us to love, and we reply back, you want me to love her? You want me to love him? Do you not, do you not know how much grief that they have caused me? But he calls us to love because he changed the world by loving, and he first loved us. You see, church, to fight like Jesus is to love like Jesus, and we need reminded of that. We need reminded of the degree of forgiveness that was given to each and every one of us. We need to remember that level of sacrifice that was, that was poured out for us. And we need to remember that immense amount of love that, it was, that was required for that to happen. And that's one of the reasons that he gives us reminders. That's one of the reasons that he gives us this meal that we celebrate together. You see, because for God so loved the world that he sent his only son as only part of the story. Because that son that he sent, he had to die. He had to walk through a dark valley to be spat upon, beaten upon, his body pierced, his body executed for us. That is forgiveness, that is sacrifice, that is love far beyond what we're able to do. But it was the ultimate display of God's love and sacrifice. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 in the ESV says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. The, the Holman Christian standard says, For while we were still helpless, at the appointed time Christ died for the ungodly. The NIV says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. We need to be reminded of the sacrifice that happened just as God ordained at just the time that God chose for Jesus to give himself as a sacrifice for our sins. The ultimate display of love, of sacrifice, of forgiveness. And that's why we share this meal.